Recovery Elevator, episode 396. There wasn't much that was wrong outside, but in my head, I, I just, I remember just always feeling like discontent, like nothing was enough. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four, down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. I'm so happy to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Renee. He's 33 years old. He's from California and took his last drink on January 18th of this year. Fantastic job, Renee. Listeners, I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do such an incredible job. All right. Our alcohol-free photography course starts less than two weeks from now on Saturday, October 1st. This course meets Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern for seven straight weeks. This class is geared towards the beginner, and anyone with a smartphone or a nicer camera can take this class. We do give some recommendations for nicer cameras on the FAQ page if you want to pick one up. This is a three-part course. Number one, learn the fundamentals of photography. Number two, learn the power of artistic expression. Number three, support your sobriety through your artistic expression while creating accountability by becoming active in a community of other sober people who are also interested in improving their photography skills. Listeners, we've got a link in the show notes to learn more and where to sign up. Thank you, Liz. All right, before we get any further, let's hear from a fantastic sponsor, Soberlink. Each and every person in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for recovery. Maybe it's your family that's motivating you. Maybe it's your friends. Or maybe you're just finally doing this for yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery is, we're all in this together. At Recovery Elevator, our mission includes having fun in sobriety and building connections with like-minded individuals. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink to expand and strengthen our community even further, as Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip-up or relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help build trust and to foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at www.soberlink.com forward slash recovery dash elevator. Okay, if you have been interviewed on this podcast, we would love to hear where you are now. Please send an email to info at recoveryelevator.com with an update on where you are in life. This episode is going to come out on episode 401. That's five weeks from now. Now, if you have drank since your interview, please don't shy away from this ask. That's all part of the journey. And with every relapse or field research, you learn valuable lessons. So again, send us an update on your life, where you're at since your interview, to info at recoveryelevator.com. Try to keep it two to 300 words, and please edit. Thank you. Okay, let's get started. In episode 391, I asked listeners what they want to hear, and I had several requests for more science and alcohol. So here you go. Asterisks on relying on science and information to ditch the booze. Yes, it's interesting and knowledge is power, but please don't solely rely on knowledge, science, and information alone to quit drinking. If we could read or listen ourselves out of a drinking problem, well, the problem would be solved and most of us wouldn't be here right now. Now, having said that, I also love the science part of addiction, so here you go. Now, listeners, I pull most of this information from a fantastic podcast episode from the Dr. Andrew Huberman podcast. And that link is in the show notes if you want to listen to that full episode. Thank you, Liz. Now, Dr. Andrew Huberman is a professor of neurobiology and ophthalmology at the Stanford School of Medicine. His podcast is amazing. This guy definitely knows his shit. Okay, let's talk alcohol and the brain. Now, keep in mind, this could be a three-hour podcast episode on just the destruction that alcohol does on your brain alone. 
So I really only dive deep into two topics. I just want you to keep that in mind. All right, let's do this. Alcohol has many biochemical and neurochemical effects on the brain. There are dramatic changes in the neurons that control the release of serotonin when we consume alcohol. Now, serotonin, listeners, is the feel-good chemical, and 80% of it is created in the gut. Now, when we mix alcohol and serotonin, it gets converted into acetaldehyde. This acetaldehyde acts as a toxin at the very synapses and the connections between the serotonergic neurons and lots of other neurons. In other words, when we ingest alcohol, the toxic effects of alcohol disrupt those mood circuitries first by making them hyperactive. So this is why people become happy or more talkative after a couple sips of alcohol or maybe after a drink. But after the alcohol wears off, this is where the serotonin levels dip and the activity of the brain circuitry really starts to drop. And this is why most people head to the bar for a second round or a second drink. Again, this immediately gets processed into a toxic chemical called acetaldehyde. So after our first drink, we're never going to match the initial euphoria of the first drink. This is for normal and problematic drinkers. Again, what typically happens when people ingest their third, fourth, or fifth drink, there is an absolute zero chance of them recovering that energized mood that they experienced on the first drink. Most people, when they drink more and more, begin to feel suppressed. The front part of the brain, the frontal cortex, is beginning to shut down. The motor areas of the brain that control motion and basic functions begin to slow. You can see this with slurred speech, or people swaying back and forth, or the classic drunk shuffle. People begin to lean on things. Uncomfortable benches seem like a good place to spend the night. What's happening is there is a great depression, and not the psychiatry of sorts, but a depression of the alertness and arousal, and eventually people begin to pass out if you consume enough alcohol. Now this reaction when we consume alcohol applies to most people, according to Dr. Huberman. But he said there is a subset of people who have a gene variant, or those who are chronic drinkers, or some who are chronic drinkers and have the gene variant, that when they ingest the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, or 20th drink, become more alert, more boisterous, and they are the ones that often, not always, are the future alcoholics in the room. Let's talk another way that alcohol can change the brain chemistry. Now this is something I've previously not heard of, uh, and, and this is huge in my opinion. So alcohol changes the relationship between the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the adrenals. Now the hypothalamus, which is about the size of a gumball and sits above the roof of your mouth, provides a specific set of signals for the pituitary gland, which then releases hormones into the bloodstream that go and talk to your adrenals, which sit right above your kidneys and your lower back. Now the adrenals release a chemical called epinephrine and cortisol, which is involved in the longer term stress response of human beings. The hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the adrenals maintain the overall physiological balance of what you perceive as stressful. And here's the impactful part. People with a drinking problem experience changes between the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the adrenals, which result in more cortisol being released at baseline. Yeah, so this is the punch in the goat blocks. Even when you're not drinking, you take a couple days off, your baseline stress level is still much higher. So people who consistently drink are more stressed out at baseline than sober peeps. They have more cortisol released from their adrenal glands even when they're not drinking. And as you can imagine, the obvious consequence of this is when you're not even drinking, you feel more stressed out. You feel more anxious than people who don't drink. And most medical professionals will agree that stress is the number one killer and the number one contributor of disease. Listeners, let's talk blackouts for a second, what it is and what's really happening. So blacking out is not passing out. When we overload the brain with alcohol, it's almost too much to process. And the activity of neurons in the hippocampus, which is involved with memory formation, are strained. And then they completely shut off, as in you're no longer forming memories. You can still be functioning, and some high functioning, you know, while you're drinking a lot of alcohol. But the memory-forming part of your brain, the hippocampus, just clocks out. Okay, for the second part of this intro, I want to talk genetic predisposition. Now, side note, I don't believe in the genetic predisposition model. I used to. When I started this podcast, I did, but now I don't. Addiction guru Dr. Gabramate's teaching rebuked the genetic myth. Now, he feels all addictions are trauma responses of sorts. Now, it helped Dr. Gabramate reach this conclusion 
was a studying of twins who have the same genetic makeup. Uh, some of these twins lived together, and some of them were separated at birth. His conclusions is that all addictions are environmental responses, and genetics don't really have much to do with anything. Another way to say that is addictions are coping behaviors that allow people to survive in environments, and most of the time those are unhealthy environments. Now, a gentleman named Dr. Bruce Lipton, who was coined the father of epigenetics in the late 90s, would also agree with this. Epigenetics says it's the environment that cues anxiety, depression, addiction, autoimmune responses, cancers, inflammations, and not genetics. Classic Rat Park experiment done by Bruce Alexander in the 70s also shows that addictions are environmental. So I am on board with this approach. And even in the last eight years doing Recovery Elevator, I've seen the pendulum slightly shift in this direction from the mechanical view of medicine, which is mostly Western medicine. So the mechanical view towards medicine, to summarize, is basically we are all robots of sorts. You have this disease because you have this gene. You have this condition, take this pill. So what we're starting to see now is our biological makeup is much more adaptive and reflexive to environments than we previously had thought. Again, I do feel most addictions are heavily tied to trauma. These are adaptive behaviors. And another reason I don't think alcoholism is genetic is because alcoholism is rapidly on the rise. Genes take thousands or millions of years to evolve. So these genes can't explain the tenfold increase in alcoholism we've seen in the last couple of centuries. However, on this podcast, I do want to share different perspectives on alcoholism, which Dr. Huberman has. Dr. Huberman feels alcoholism is genetic. He does mention that there is no blood test, fingerprint test, or biomarker test to indicate this gene. And I might add that scientists, after the decade-plus time it took to fully map the human genome, they still haven't found the addiction gene or anything close to it. So Dr. Huberman says the best way to identify alcoholics and non-alcoholics are by putting drinkers in two bins. One bin is the group of people who have a couple of drinks and then get tired with a nodding head or they feel sedated. The other bin of people is the group of people that have a couple drinks, get more energized, and are not sedated. The drowsy group of people after a couple drinks are your normal drinkers. The let's go streaking to the quad and bring your green hat group, those are the future alcoholics. So is alcoholism genetic-based or is it trauma-based? Most likely, it isn't 100% one or the other. I've talked about EDR on this podcast or enhanced dopamine receptors. That's how everybody's dopamine system is wired differently. Not everyone experiences pain and pleasure the same. Not everybody, when they put their hand in front of a campfire, feels that warmth and that comfort and that hug the same. Not everybody, when they take that first drink, feel it the same way. So I feel that is part of the makeup and who becomes an alcoholic and who doesn't. So is it one bin or the other bin? Probably not. It's most likely a combination of 57,680 different things. Again, listeners, I don't recommend getting too caught up in all this stuff. At the end of the day, if you've got a drinking problem, you've got a drinking problem. And knowing what alcohol does to your prefrontal cortex isn't going to keep you sober in the long run. But it is fun to expand our knowledge and come together as a group, even though we're all listening in several different places. We're still coming together as a group and making the conscious decision to move forward in life without alcohol. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Renee. Life can be overwhelming, and no matter who we are, problems are guaranteed to arise. For me, sometimes when new problems come up, I feel a bit paralyzed. It's important to assess situations and to talk to people I trust when it comes to finding solutions. I've gone from thinking I have to figure it out all on my own, to asking for help when it comes to problem-solving mode. There's no better feeling than finding solutions and gaining confidence through problem-solving. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. Therapy has always been important to me because I need someone who can catch my blind spots and be clear with me. Someone who can see things that perhaps I'm not catching and someone that can give me professional feedback without me feeling hurt or judged. We take such good care of our bodies. The mind should be no different. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapist anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, 
therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash elevator. Thanks, Paul, for the intro and Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Renee. Renee, how's it going? Doing good, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Uh, this time around, um, I've had continuous sobriety for about a month and a half or six months and a half. Six and a half um, months. That's yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, mid-January or so. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I I uh I think I was just sharing with you a little bit before I had like within last week and this week like a lot of things bunch up on me but even then like I uh I feel in even last night I got I got like a little fever but mm. it's just from being tired I'll take being tired any day Yeah that beats the hell out of uh out of a hangover even Oh yeah Well nice job dude Good job before uh before we get into it can you tell us a little bit about yourself where you're from what you do for a living uh family things like that and then most importantly what do you like to do for fun yeah absolutely i uh so i'm 33 uh coming around here in a couple of weeks i'll be 34 yay me and mm-hmm. uh i am from uh california watsonville california I have a great support system, great family. I mean, my brothers, my sister, my parents, and I have a beautiful uh, seven-year-old daughter who I'm a single father to. When I say single, like she lives with me. I don't do the the weekend warrior stuff. And yeah, I think that I think I covered it all right there, right? Oh, what um, I do for what I do for a living. Uh, so I, I work. Um, I just started my own business this year too. Oh, nice. And it, it goes right along with my sobriety. So when I got sober, I I just went on my own and. Uh, so I, I uh, work for myself as a handyman, and I uh, I love that. That's awesome, man. I bet you there's always, there's always work. I oh, there's do. never lack of work. Uh, and then fun. Renee, what do you like to do for fun? I I guess I would, I'm kind of becoming a gym rat. Like, I've, uh, I, I've been there. Actually, no, I'll take that back because I have such a full life with my daughter and everything that I have to make the time. So it's like... <laughs> six five to six times a week but i'm there almost religiously and then yeah so that consumes a lot of my time so i say like that's that's like my my relief and then when i do get the time i do like to explore outdoors so i i live in a beautiful area so the hikes i have the beach right down the street you know so all those things but what i do on a daily would be the working out so yeah you know like my family time used to feel like I don't know, like if I feel like kind of a shitty dad saying it, but I used to feel like taking care of my kids was like an obligation, but like, I'm right there with you. Like that fills me up too. Like that's, I don't know, like that's kind of my fun. These days too, is just like hanging out with my kids and doing stuff with them. So yeah, yeah. It it gets lighter as, as we get better. I was just right before this up to like the, the, the minutes were ticking. I was laying in bed with my daughter. We were watching reels and uh, just laughing, you know? Yeah. I love that, man. That's just one of those things that I, I don't know. I think that maybe we don't, we just don't see, at least for me, like I didn't see that coming, but just like to be yeah. with my, be with my kids. And yeah. It's, I don't, it's, it's cool. 100. Dude, I love it. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get into it. Let's do what we came here to do. Can you tell us a little bit? Uh, let's, let's talk about your relationship with alcohol, how it started, how it progressed and, and how you felt along the way. Yeah, so I think, uh, like I said, I, I've always had a very supportive family, you know. My parents tried their best. We're first generation here, so my parents immigrated from Mexico, and I think they did a great job, you know. Like, they they embedded, like, education in us from the get-go. So I, even though, like, school wasn't my thing, I always knew since I was in kinder that I was going to go to college because to them, they, they still believed in that American dream. You come here, you go to school, and everything's cherry. Yeah. And so that was always the plan. And, uh, you know, like there was a lot of drinking around me growing up, you know, uncles, neighbors, dad, doesn't matter. It was around all the time, you know, kids' birthdays party, like that was happening. So I, I, I grew up around it. It was pretty normalized to me. But at the same time, I, my mom, I, I remember was a big, like she, she would always like be like 
like concerned about my dad's drinking at times. Um, and my dad, you know, like when he was, when I was really young, I, I think I've actually seen my dad actually drunk like maybe a couple handful of times my whole life. But he's uh, he's definitely like every, every day he has beer too, you know, a few beers. Yeah. But I remember when I was a kid, my mom, that always being concerned. And I remember growing up and telling myself, like, I'm not, I'm not just not going to drink. Like, it's that easy. I think my dad gave me a sip when I was a kid, when I had to be like four or five years old. And I remember thinking like, well, this is going to be easy. Like, why? I'm, I'm just not going to drink. This tastes nasty. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I always try to like, you know, I, I have, I have three other siblings, sister and two brothers. I think it all like growing up with siblings, at least for me, it always felt like slightly like a bit of a competition, you know, where like who gets more love, who gets less. And me being like the middle child, like I felt like, you know, I, I, I felt it. I felt it, you know. And so I think I would always try to like compare where I don't know, like my younger brother's like the, the brains of the family. Right. So what can I do? Like I can I can maintain my grades consistently. You know, mm-hmm. he can show up and like maybe not study and get an A on a test. I get an F, but I can do my homework every day. You know, yeah. my older brother, he's always, he's always been really big, really athletic Where you know, when he was younger, he played football. I ran, I ran cross country. I did it all four years. He did it too. You know, like, what can I do to like show that? Like I can do a little bit more, or, like I'm more consistent, you know? So I think, I, I think I was, you know, I, I have struggled with that. So like, we all talk about like, well, I hear the, like the common theme of all like, trying to find your like tribe or where you can fit in or where you feel like at home, you know? And, um, and so part of that strategy to me was like, I'm going to be the guy that doesn't drink my older brother. I, I know like he started like partying like during high school. I didn't. And so I think the first time that I actually drank was probably like my senior year. And I drank like once we had like two forties of forget if they were, yeah, they were old English. <laughs> A classic yeah, classy. Right. And I remember they were so hard to put down. Um, and, and my, my friends, my like group of friends that I hung up with, hung out with at that time, they were huge drinkers and like used whatever, you know, garbage disposals, which I later turned into, but they're that too. Right. I was the kid that they would say like, I'm going to go hang out with Brene and they'd be like, okay, come back at 10 or whatever, you know, <laughs> so if they went out with me, it was fine. And that night I, I, uh, I joined them with that. And I remember like, it was so hard to put it down, so nasty. But by the end, I got like to the end of that 40. I remember seeing like the glass, like now I could see right through it. And I started feeling like those spins, that numbness. And like it, it I don't know. I, I don't even know like half the thing. I just remember like I was spinning around in like the parking lot by like Jack in the Box. I, I know a lot, a lot of people. So back then, a lot of people used to hang out there. That was like the high school hangout spot, the parking lot. And I, I thought I had a good time. I, I don't know. And then. But I remember on Monday, like a couple kids at school saying like, oh, you were really drunk. I remember you were spinning. And I tried brushing it off, right? which I did. I did actually. I, I said, oh, yeah, whatever. I don't even remember what I said. But that was my first interaction, like actual interaction with it. And and thereafter, I didn't drink for, for the remainder of the school year. I think that was like over the winter break. And I don't even think that that following summer. And then I started community college here. And I think I started like when I would actually go out with friends or to parties, I started kind of like having a drink or two. And then it turned into, um, I had this like the the breakup with my first girlfriend, which I was like head over heels for, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I smirk at it now, but you know. <laughs> that young love is like a and, real thing, man. You oh my God, it. dude. Yeah, you tell me. <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember like the first time that it actually hit me, like it was, it was visible and it was a thing. I didn't, and I don't, I couldn't tell you, Chris, how I got to like, so I'm, I'm talking like I made it to, to the end of my senior year, some of like beginning of college. And then sometime like during that first winter break of, of college, I remember that that breakup happened. There was an older, older girl that, uh, that was in class with me. And I remember just sounding like, Hey, can you, we would always be talking about drinking. I guess that was like the, the common ground. And I told her, Hey, can you buy me a bottle of, of whatever? She said, what do you want? I said, whatever, you know? So she ended up buying me a bottle of tequila and I brought that home and I just wanted to sit in my sorrows. Yeah. I sat in my desk in front of my computer and I, and I just started drinking that bottle and my sister and my, my niece who was like, I don't know, three at the time, maybe they showed up and they see me and I am hammered. I'm crying. And like, and my, my niece runs to me and she hugs me and she says like, what's wrong with you? You know, like, and her little voice still, you know, like wants to comfort me. And, and my sister asked me the same thing, you know, and uh, 
And I think that was the first time that I that I felt like what's what's happening with this relationship, you know, with alcohol. Yeah. But again, at that age, at that time, it was really easy to brush off. And I, I made it like, well, I'm learning how to drink. I'm I don't know, you know, like and my brother, he's a year older than me. We've always been like best friends. And uh, he he drinks, you know, he likes to drink. And, and at the time, you know, like at that time, too, I mean, he's he's in college. He's he was in a frat. He had a lot of drink, you know. So, like, again, it was me. Like, how can I like I was trying to keep up with him at one point, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was just thinking I'm just playing catch up to him <laughs> or, you know, yeah. to everyone else, too. So that's that's how like the beginning of it did. And then from there on, it's a blur. But I, I at, within like that, that tequila bottle day that I tell you about, like right after that, I just it became like a, a daily thing of something, whether it was like I, I had my sonar moment, too. And then just kind of became a garbage disposal at some point, whatever was thrown my way that would make me feel different. I was OK with it. And of course, that progressed. Luckily for me, like there was, you know, few things that that ever really like trapped me like alcohol you know yeah. so i could try things with uh, like a time or two and and not get hooked on them you know it was like i i didn't care for them but the the alcohol that had that definitely always takes like possession of me is like the way i can think of it, it grabs me and i'm just like like i just feel like giving me like a tight hug that's not good and at the same time i'm like wow well, I'll, I'll return the hug just because you're giving it to me you know as you're as you're describing just like that first even that that first time your senior year that dude that is so relatable to me just like that like curiosity like let me try this and then like the like the next monday like people heard people heard that you drink and and it's like high school is a weird time you know like like even into college too it's like that late teens early 20s is is kind of wild and yeah that like just as you as you were describing it like i remember that like going to school and having people like hey chris chris got drunk this weekend and like having people like ask me about it and it was, maybe it was their curiosity or their judgment or whatever yeah. and then and then i've got to try to like wrap my head around about what they think about my drinking especially if we're you know like you, you mentioned earlier maybe a little predisposed to like trying to prove yourself just to figure out where you fit in yeah so like that's all a part of it too like all right, well, these people have an opinion about my drinking. So like, what do I do? Do I try to appease their, how they feel? Like, do I try to make them okay with it? Or do I try to just make myself more comfortable with it yeah. and say, you know, fuck them. I don't care what they think. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. that can lead us into like that more, well, I don't care anyway. So I'm just going to keep yeah. doing, keep doing my thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, I, I think, I think that's like the way you describe it. Yeah. Like that was definitely more of like the thing in college too. Cause when I when I started college, it seems like the doors just open, like the freedom that I got from like my parents, from everything else, right? And, and then I'll just I'll just skip right through. Then like moving out and like I, I transferred out down to San Diego. I was on my own. I have no family down there, no one, you know. Like and and it was like it was when I went down there, I it was game on. Yeah, you know. And I and at that time, I'd been dating another girl here, and and. When I left on there, we broke up and I just thought like, I have no worries in the world. <laughs> you know, like I, I was single. I, I don't have responsibilities like a family, right? Like kids or anything. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to college, that thing my parents always talked about on there. And I was working, you know? So I thought to myself, like, I, I, I can do this. I deserve this. And this is just what, what I'm supposed to do. Then it, then it was, it was a daily thing. I was drinking every day. If there was anything else involved, it was just supplement, you know, but, but, but the drinking was daily. Um, and then I worked in the restaurant industry down there. It's huge down in San Diego. And yeah, yeah I mean, like, I think enough said with that, we all know what the industry looks like, you know? Yeah. So it was just a constant thing down there. And then um, I think I, I remember, so when, what, like I got fired from one job for drinking, it was from a restaurant too, which is like, but for that to happen, it has hey, to be somewhere, you know? It's supposed to be part of our culture here. <laughs> no, dude, like, so So what happened is I, I don't know, I think it happened a few times and I'd probably like shown up drunk, you know, more than a few times. I'm not sure. But this one time, like, I, I, I woke up like a few hours late for my shift and I was like, oh God. And I showed up and my manager's like, what have you been doing all day? You know? And I said, well, like, I try to like not say anything. He's like, you've been drinking all day? And I said, well, no, I started around 10 a.m. <laughs> 
<laughs> Not all day. Not all day, right? And he looked at me and said, just go home. I actually think that guy's sober because I, I would see him like at, at, at bars like around and he was always drinking like uh, like water, yeah. like fancy water. But I don't know. That's a different story. <laughs> so anyways, that, that's the one time that I think I had like consequences from it. That, But, you know, I, I think the other thing with me, too, was like I never really suffered. Like I, I never got DUIs. I never like had any real consequences like that. Like but the but the biggest thing was like inside my head you know like the mm-hmm. consequences that are happening there what did some of that stuff look like like how is it how is it feeling like maybe like you said externally there's you know, that physical or like the normal checklist of like oh i'm an yeah. alcoholic or i'm a, i've got a drinking problem but what were some of like the internal things that you're dealing so, with so i'll i'll answer that with this with this story like so i i think when that's like really started hitting so i started getting that like the traditional i'll call it that like anxiety like stress like you know like school wasn't going that well again like i told school has always been difficult for me but i blamed it on all these other things you know i never looked at it like could it be the drinking nor did i really think it was like i i didn't i like it just wasn't a thing that drinking could be the issue you know mm-hmm. i thought it was all because there was the all these other things going on supposedly right? The, the school wasn't going well, work was heavy, like I had a lot of things going on. But I remember with with that anxiety and stress, I told myself, like, I'm gonna go to I knew that the, the school offered like, um, free counseling, like therapy. Okay. So I went to the school, like, um, counselor, I don't know, whatever it was. And I, I, I cried in front of her. And she took me then to like the psychologist or it's like, yeah, yeah. So the more professional one, because this was the academic counselor. Okay. And then so she, she, we set up an appointment. I go back and I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to take care of this. And I'm talking and talking and talking. And then she says, have you ever tried AA? And I said, what? <laughs> like in my head, you know, like I looked at her like, I just told you all these things that are going on in my life. And this is what you got for me. <laughs> I felt attacked. I felt like, what, what is this, you know? you don't know what you're talking about here. And, and, uh, and she started telling, and I said, no. And she started telling me about it. And I I was done. I shut off like right there. And then like, I was just sitting, like waiting to get out of there. And so, so this is how insane it got. And by then, like, so I left that, that session, never plan on going back. Mm -hmm. I scheduled something, but just blew it off that night. I went, I went home and hung out with my small, like group of friends that, that all like drank like me, you know? Yeah, and uh, and we were playing beer pong, and 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 drinking whatever else. And I remember I told them I, I wanted that reassurance. And I told them like, hey, you never, never guess what the counselor told me. And I told them like, she said that like, like she she thinks I'm an alcoholic. I could have a problem with drinking or whatever. And all of them said like, no, you're not. If you were, I'd be the first one to tell you. <laughs> we're sitting there, you know. And I'm, so I think back to that story, and I'm like, wow, you know. So like, but going back to you know like. There wasn't much that was wrong outside, but in my head, I, I just, I remember just always feeling like discontent, like nothing was enough. Even like that, that anxiety from like, I'm, I was a daily drinker, right? So that anxiety I get like the next day, like a little bit of the shakes, a little bit of like everything worried me. Everything worried me. There was, mm-hmm. I, I lived across the beach yeah. and like, I couldn't go sit in the beach and like just be content and relax and look at the waves, you know, like I sat there in worry and, and it's, it's such a like gross feeling inside to feel that way. And that, that's, that seems to be the pattern every time I've, I've like chosen to like go back, you know? So that's college. Fast forward, all that happens. I, I graduate somehow and there's a bunch of stories in between that, but, but I'll, I'll just, I'll just go there. So I graduate, my family goes over that whole time. I was, I was just, plastered even like in like while i was sitting in my cap and gown there's like an aerial picture you can probably see all the caps in mine's like down you can probably <laughs> see the back of you know because i i just went to sleep so i came back and then when i came back all those things that i talked about like i deserved it and i because i had all these things going to i was working i was going to school i was living on my own i didn't have any of those things anymore i was back here in town living in my old room it's funny because this is my old room now. Yeah. That's a different story. <laughs> and, you know, like I didn't have a job. I was no longer working towards a goal. I didn't have I didn't have school where I have like I have finals coming up so I can celebrate after that. I have like 
summer break. I have winter break. Like I had none of that going on. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't get an engineering degree. So I didn't get out and get in a job as an engineer. I have to like figure it out now. So I think when I came back, I, I just, I got really depressed about the whole situation. And, and for the first, like, I don't know, month and a half or two, like I just sat here in, in my room and just drank and my whole family was here, you know, and they, they got to see me like, just go through this. Yeah, I suppose there's probably a, like a, like a, you know, one, like you said, like just not to not have like a specific goal to work towards. And then, you know, maybe like a, a little bit of a loss of identity to like, yeah, come back yeah. home. And absolutely. That's, that's exactly it, Chris. I think for me, you know, like I'm, I'm very like goal orientated and want to see like something that I'm working towards, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and when I have that, like I thrive, Chris, you know, doesn't matter. Like if, if school's not my jam, if whatever's not, if there's like a goal in front of me, I thrive. That's just the way my brain works, I guess. But so that happened. And then I forget how the, like, what, what happened in my head or like, but I, like at some point I, I just kind of said like enough's enough. And I got up, I started doing the Google research, you know, about like, am I, do I have a drinking problem? Am I an alcoholic? Like, what can I do? You know, because yeah. by this point I had already tried a few times to like reduce my drinking or like stop. I even like, I printed out this thing that was like this like a hundred page journal, like from some institute in Australia. And it said like how to do it, how to track it. You know, it didn't work out. I did like a week maybe, (laughs) but anyhow, like I found out about meetings, like AA meetings. And, and I thought to myself, well, I'm going to go to Spanish meetings. I'm sure I won't know anyone there, but being in my town, you know, like my parents knew a lot of people. (laughs) It kind of backfired. And then some people were like, Hey, I saw him in a meeting. You know, I was trying to keep it like, but even like that first meeting, I remember like there was a there's a like a convenience store right across it from that Spanish speaking meeting. And I remember being there and, and like 10 minutes before I went in the store and I was like, I could just get a, a like a drink and then figure it out or, you know, like kind of ease things. And then it was whatever. I don't know. It was like seven o'clock that the meeting started. And I said, OK, well, I, I was at the fridge and I and I decided not to grab that drink. And I went to the meeting and then I went back for about a week and I started feeling better and better, you know. And eventually, like, I, I build up the courage and I and I, I looked up, like, English-speaking meetings and I went there. And I think for the first time in a long time, I really felt like I found, like, my tribe, you know? I yeah. heard these people tell their stories. I heard, like, the way they felt, how they got there. Um, and I really did look at the, the similarities. Even before anyone threw that out there of, like, look at the similarities and all the difference. Like, I went there and I picked out, like, that's just, like, how I was feeling. Like, that person knows exactly, like, how I feel now, what I was thinking then, like they, they you know, like it, it just all started clicking. I love that, man. I, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if for me, if it was like my lack of emotional intelligence, I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but like, same thing. Like when I started, whether it was through the podcast or at a meeting, but when I started hearing other people talk about like the stuff that they had been through and how it made them feel, it's like, Holy shit. Like, yes, that's what, like, that's how what I've been feeling and that's what I've been going through. And like, I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to speak it. I didn't know how to yeah. like articulate that. And to hear someone else describe my experience was, I don't know. There's, there's like some peace in that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, 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 I definitely, I think finding that peace in that I, that's, that's exactly like, that's a great way to put it, Chris, because that's exactly what I felt. And so I, I, at that time, like, I, I could say I kind of stumbled into AA, you know, like I knew nothing about it. I knew new one that w- went to it. So like, it felt like this, it really was this breath of fresh air and like everything was new. It was exciting, you know, like, and who doesn't love that? You know? Yeah. And so I, I ran with it, Chris, like I, I was what, like I was about to be 24 and I, 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 I did the program like till I was like about to be 27 or so. It was a good time, like in my life. Like yeah. for those, like I, I had almost like, like three years of sobriety, continuous sobriety, and man, that feeling was just great. I felt so confident in myself. Like, like, I, I just feel like enough said. Like, thanks for just. And if anyone's hearing this, and like, they, I think they know what I'm talking about. You yeah. know, like it, it just it that feeling and uh, and so all that happened, and then like so during that time, like when I started getting sober, I, I finally like, got back on track with goals. 
And so since I was a kid, like the one thing I wanted to be was was a pilot, you know. So I I already looked into all these avenues, and so I I I, I, I like looked into the military, and for a couple of years I was I was uh I was gonna join the the Marine Corps, you know. I I took I studied so hard for those two years for my ASTB test. Um, I had to retake the ASVAB because I never took my SATs, you know. So I okay. had to score like a certain like like uh certain score to like become an officer. And I love that. It was like two years that I did that program. And then we would like do like PT every couple of weeks. They gave us a little shirt. So I started like building this like sense of belonging and pride. And like I had this great goal I was like building up to, you know. And then right towards the end, like I was feeling great, like great physical shape. I knew what I was going. Like I had my whole package completed. Like I was ready to like leave, you know, like they said, like, you are good enough to be a pilot. We're going to take you, you know yeah and and man do like it was i remember when i passed that like my it's like the it's called an ace to be a flight like the naval flight uh like entry exam battery okay. test and i when I, I took that twice so the second time i passed it and when i passed that i just something in my head said like this is happening like i just i put my hands up and i said wow you know and then a little bit after I, i'd met a girl in in aa and and we'd been dating and and we got pregnant you know and so that was a whole thing in itself. Um, it's a whole like story, so I'm not gonna try not to get too much into it. But I, uh, at the end of it all, like there, we weren't gonna be together. We dated for like a few months, really. It just mm-hmm. happened, you know. And she moved back home where she's from, which is a few hours from here. And then we had a plan, though. You know, daughter was gonna live with her. I was already working on this. I was gonna leave. We're gonna make it work, right? Mm-hmm. And I fell on top of the world, Chris. I like I I felt untouchable. It was, it's crazy, you know. But I think it was a humbling experience. I, I, like years later, now I can look back at it. And when my daughter was born, I she called me like I'm going in labor. So I, I left work and I, I drove those three hours. I got there. My daughter was there. I saw her. It was great, you know. And then that night, I was staying at her sister's house. I got I got a like I got shook and like woken up. And her sister said like Hey, wake up. Um, CPS is about to be here. Uh, and and police officer with them, right? I thought I was dreaming, Chris. Wow. I thought I was dreaming, and uh, I got up, and sure enough, as soon as I was like, I opened my eyes enough to be like awake. I I see a police officer and CPS standing there. And they pull me to the side and they start asking me all these questions, and they told me like, oh, you know, uh, forget if it feels like your daughter tested positive for for substance or or like mom admitted to it or or they tested mom and she came up positive for it but apparently mom had been using mm. while she was pregnant and i man chris i i felt like at that point like that rug that i'd been like standing on just got like slipped from right under me i was yeah. doing everything i was supposed to yeah i was i was like deep in aa i was sober i was physically healthy i was like mentally like in a good place like i had been studying for the last two years more than i ever studied in college like i felt like I could read a book in a day, you know? Yeah. Like everything just felt good. My goal, like my one goal, like I was moving towards, I was like months away, like, you know, and my daughter was born, you know, and like, but all those things just got bundled up and just shooken up, like right under me. It was tough. And so that happened. And then I ended up with full custody of my daughter. So then there I was a a single, like literally a single dad at 27. I didn't know what I was going to do. My job that I had it was not going to support us anymore. Yeah. I needed to figure something else out. I wasn't going to be a Top Gun pilot anymore. Yeah. Right? Like, that was out the door. And then, like, I didn't I didn't know what to do. And to top it off, exactly a month later, so my daughter was born on the 12th, 12th next month, my my brother, who's, like, my best friend that I told, like, that's a year older than me, he had a stroke. Oh, man. At 28. So, and then... At that time when my brother had the stroke, I remember I had just gotten off the phone with my mom or someone like they were telling me about it. And then my my recruiter calls me and he says, like, hey, I have some other like I t- he's like, how's everything going? Because I told him about the situation. And he said, like, hey, sorry about all that. He's like, but I have I have some more news for you. He said, like, this whole thing He's like, it's a no go anymore. It's not happening, man. He's like, you have custody like we, it's not happening. And at that point, I, I remember I was outside of my workplace and I just thought like, I, 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 I like mentally gave up. I, I, I just, I couldn't. And there like transpired like the start of like this whole thing again. Like I just, 
I was so mad at God. I was so mad at like the world because it, ah, oh, man. <laughs> oh, you're good, brother. That's a, that's a lot of shit for, for, for any person to have thrown in their lap, you know, someone that you care about and to have, you know, you've talked about like how hard you worked towards this goal. Life doesn't happen to us. It just happens. But I mean, holy shit, like that's a lot of life like, yeah. in, in a short time to just get to, to get thrown at you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I just felt like in the beginning, like when all this first happened, when I first stumbled into AA, all those things, like I did my fourth step and I thought like, yeah, like this, I, I did all this, Yeah. but this time around it was like, and now I can look back and see like where my part in it is. But at that time, it was like, I didn't, I didn't do the drugs. I didn't like, it's not my fault that, you know, like all this, like the stroke, I didn't have nothing to do with. Like I did everything. I passed every test. I studied every night. I like, you know, like I couldn't find, like, I couldn't like compose myself enough to see like, well, what was my part in all this? Right. Now I can see that. Like I let my needs take over like my goals at that time. Right. Like maybe I should, you know, like, and I hate to say this cause I love my daughter, like, and, and she's a blessing to me. Like, but maybe I shouldn't have been hooking up with this person, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know. And, and it's all said and done now. But, like, I can at least look and see, like, well, what are the things that I that I could have controlled that I didn't, right? Yeah. But but anyhow, like, so that that transpired. And, like, and then I forget, like, even, like, when I drank that time. But then I drank. And then I, it was, like, one night. I just couldn't handle it. And then I went back. And, and I was sober for, I think I did, like, another, like, close to a year. Yeah. I was going to meetings, but then meetings were just, just seemed like I would try to reach out to, I felt so alone even there, you know, like I, I would, uh, I would ask people for like advice or help. And, and, and all I kept getting was like, go to more meetings, yeah, do the steps again, you know, like, and they would give me all the cliches, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, uh, keep it simple, like all this shit. And I was like, fuck, like that, that's not helping like my financial situation or like finding a job <laughs> that's paying, you know? That's not helping, like, finding, like, babysitting. Like, that's not how, you know, like, oh, go to more meetings, you know. And, and I and I, I got to a point where I said, fuck this. And I just, I just stopped. Yeah. I just stopped. And guess what, Chris, for a while, it seemed like it was fine. Yeah. It was fine. And I, and I, and I thought to myself, like, I'm going to do the con- controlled drinking. And it worked for about a year, year and a half, maybe. Yeah. You know, and, and then I, I, I reconnected with, like, the like my high school crush that it actually like yeah like my high school crush that i had the whole time and and she's a great person right like to this day we're still have this like on and off thing like i don't know that like again i'm not gonna get into that <laughs> but like and uh and we got together and and she she's very supportive borderline like uh i, I don't know I, I i let's just say she's very supportive of anything yeah. right so she she too was became very supportive of my drinking you know, and then it got, we, we got together, we moved in together and then it became a thing where, where we were both drinking daily. Yeah. Right. And I thought, and I had something like I had in college though. Like I still had a job. I had a great job. You know, I had the corporate job now with the company card, the credit card, uh, you know, making close to six figures. Like I, I thought I had it going on, yeah. but the crush from my, like the, from high school that I had this whole time, like life was good. And my daughter was healthy. We were thriving. Right. Mm-hmm. I wasn't driving drunk with my daughter. I wasn't like neglecting her. Well, at least like in, in my head, I wasn't right. Yeah. Probably, like now I know there's a lot more I could probably be doing. And so that transpired for a couple of years. And that I kept, I kept remembering that first time I had a sobriety and how good that felt and how good this wasn't starting to feel, even though I had quote unquote everything. And then it was just like for years, it was a cycle of like getting six months, two months, three months, close to a year break up get back together things like that right and i guess i'll just fast forward to now chris uh, yeah we're a little short on time so i uh this time around it was it was kind of the same thing you know like but i uh i i I knew i had to do like something different you know and i and i knew i had to go to back to some things that actually worked so the one thing i knew always worked for me was aa you know at some point like something about it didn't work but i had to like but there was, there's something in it that does work. Yeah. So what is it that works? You know, you always hear that take what you need and leave what you don't. Right. So like, I have to like really figure what those, what that thing is. Yeah. And you, we hear it all the time. And I think for me, it's like that in person, like having that community. So I, uh, 
I went back to I went back to meetings. You know, I was very I'm very occupied with work now. I the the other thing that I've done is also like I've noticed that like because I'm very goal oriented, I need to have and like structure. I think that's why I did really good with the whole military thing. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I actually hired a, a fitness coach, financial coach, you know, and like I have a sponsor. And so all having all those things and having someone like this team together, you know, like it has helped me so much, you know, like seeing those results and like the growth that I've made, you know, like I think one of the biggest one is like getting that fitness coach. At first I was like, oh, do I want to spend that money? Do I not? Like I know like how to run. I know how to go to the gym. I like, you know, like obviously just don't eat too many burgers, you know, like lay off the donuts. But dude, having, having that and like knowing that daily I have to show up, it, it, it's like, it's transferred to every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I don't want to write up an invoice for a customer, you know, I think like, like that's when the real work is when I'm too tired. That's when the real work is when I want to pick up that donut. That's when the real work is because when I'm like, when things are flowing, when things are consistent, that's not hard. That feels good. Yeah, it's easy for me to do. But when I start questioning myself, that's the real work. You know, when I, when I when I don't want to call my sponsor, that's when I should call him. Yeah. When I and I think like oh, I don't really have the time for a meeting, that's when I should go. When I have a whole free week and I can go every day to a meeting, that's easy. Yeah. I enjoy it actually. You know, so so like I think that was that was a huge shift for me. Like having someone like almost hold my hand through like I want to say forcing. But like really pushing me and like holding me accountable to it. Yeah. And so like now, like six months later, like I'm I'm feeling like I'm feeling very strong, like in every aspect of my life. You know, I'm I'm feeling like mentally strong, not to mention physically, but like as much as that plays into it, I like I I don't get caught up in that. You know, for me, like knowing like what I've been through, like it, it it all starts in my head, Chris. Yeah. It's surrender and accountability, man. In yeah, in in a lot of areas that's that's Absolutely, man. I, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what's like in store for me, but like I'm excited for things coming up. You know, I'm excited to like, continue on this health journey. I don't want to like, you know, my sobriety is like first over everything. You know, like I was sharing in a meeting the other day that like when they, I, I heard someone like they, they were like it was a speaker meeting. And I, I was hearing their story and I said like the way you describe your drinking, like it made me think back to me, and like the only way I can describe it, it's like it's fucking disgusting. Like, it, yeah. it, like right now that I'm saying it, it gives me like goosebumps. It's disgusting, Chris. Like it almost makes me emotional. Like I, I just, everything in me is just like, God damn, dude. Like what, why would it, why would anyone, you know? Yeah. And I don't think I ever felt that in the past, Chris. I was always ready for like, it wasn't disgusting. It was romanticized in my head still. Mm-hmm. And now it's not, you know, because not like, I thought like, well, like, if I'm drinking out, like I, I'll, I'll be invited to places like the fear of missing out. And I'm like, I, I came to like, like accepting, like I'm, I'm 33 years old. I have a seven year old daughter. Like I'm a male. No one's inviting me to no parties. <laughs> no one wants, no one wants an extra dude. And like, yeah. you know, like, like it just between you, like you, you and I here, Chris, like we're not the ideal candidates. Yeah. <laughs> No, they're not lining me up to put a drink in my hand. You know, the the only place that that the drink had ever taken me back the last few times was like here in this room. Yeah. So I, you know, like other than these walls in the in the, like the the clerks at the liquor store that all knew me in town, you know, like yeah. there's no, no one else. Seeing it. <laughs> you know, and that's like that's a big shift to Renee, just to to see like I, I love that you said romanticizing because we we think we think we know what it is and we have this this beautiful picture of like oh like yeah when i'm drinking it's emotional or it's 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 creating an experience but you're right it's like it's shit it's garbage and like when we can when we can shift and have that recognition like this is what it really is it's like a sad dude sitting in a room (laughs) by himself and it sucks like let's like let's call it what it is yeah maybe there is a moment like, exactly or, or or a glimmer exactly but but it didn't last because i pissed yeah. on it yeah renee oh, yeah. this For time sure. has flown by but dude i appreciate you opening up man uh you got it you've got an amazing story and it's I'm, I'm excited i'm excited for you for like where you are today and like you said like who knows what's in the future but like it's just it's really good to hear hear from you but we are in our rapid fire section 
let's do it. All right. In 30 to 60 seconds, my dude, what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? FOMO, the fear of missing out. Yeah. Freaking FOMO. Uh, what is a positive that you did not expect in a life without alcohol? I think the level of contentment that I get and like being okay with myself. That man, what is your go to alcohol free drink? I'd like to think something else, but I I think coffee. coffee? Oh, actually, I'll take that back, Chris, all the way back. You know what my, my jam is? It's Coke Zero, any kind, cherry <laughs> vanilla, regular, or Sprite Zero. That's Coke my jam. All right, man. Well, we kind of touched on this, but what uh, what's your plan on sobriety moving forward? Just keep at it, you know. I have I have a lot of good things going on. Like I want to stay on with my my physical fitness, my sobriety. Continue to stay strong with it, you know. That's whatever I have to do there. Going to continue with meetings, never step away, and uh, continue to like ha- just have a healthy business, you know. Just keep my life as simple as I can. That's solid plan, brother. Uh, what is your favorite resource in recovery? It could be like a book, an app, uh, AA, or some other program, anything like that. AA, Recovery Elevator Podcast. Right on. Uh, what is a technique that you use when you find yourself with a craving? Oh, man, that's hard because even now, like, I, I don't have, I haven't had them, you know? I think just self-talk for me. Just like what we were talking about earlier, when 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 the real work starts, like at that point, stopping and saying like, you know, like this is it, this is where you make your decision. Yeah. So I, I think like staying in the present. Yeah, that little bit of just separating ourselves from our thoughts, and just yeah. realizing that, yeah, observing the situation. Uh, what parting piece of guidance can you give our listeners who are new to recovery or thinking about getting sober? I've heard of this one before and, and I'm going to stick to it. Like there's never a right time. If you've thought about it, like I am sorry to break it to you. Like you, you have to do it. I'm not even going to say probably like no one wakes up thinking about this kind of thing. If there's not something going on, if you've ever even questioned it one day, one time, one moment, you probably have to look at it. Just yeah. do it. Go for it. Yeah. And fuck the labels. If that's your, if that, exactly. if that hangs you up, it's, uh, I love the relationship with alcohol, I yes. love when I hear that. I love when I hear yes. that from you guys, you know? I'm like, yes. Yeah. I can't, I don't know, I don't I don't know if it was from like Trisha Lewis, is, if she was the first one I heard it from, but yeah, I love that. Like if you're unhappy with your relationship with alcohol, who cares what you call yourself? But yeah, take a look yeah. at it. All right, Renee, and last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if, think by drinking, you will end up in a party, but you end up in your room drinking by yourself. Oh, I feel ya. <laughs> Might be time to set it down. My dude, I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. You're doing great work, brother. And uh, Thanks, Chris. I'm glad yeah, we're, I'm glad we're in this. All right, man. Take, take care. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Renee, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Well, we're into September now, and as the nights start to get cooler, I know that the autumn weather is just around the corner. Fall is short-lived here in North Dakota, and I feel like mentally I start to feel this shift this time of year, preparing for winter. I've heard others talk about it too, and it's hard to put your finger on exactly why, but I tend to feel just a little bit more on edge, or maybe a little vulnerable. If you're going through this now, or have gone through it before, let me know what you're doing to stay the course. Shoot me an email over at chris at recoveryelevator.com, K-R-I-S at recoveryelevator.com. I know these feelings are just that. They're feelings. They don't last forever. I've gotten through them before, and I'm going to be okay. One thing I've done this past week is to think about my involvement in my recovery and make sure that I'm an active participant in it. What does that look like for me? I stay connected with my sponsor, I jump on some Cafe RE chats, and I'm letting the people close to me, my accountability system, know how I'm feeling. It doesn't always have to be something huge. For me, an earth-shattering change isn't necessary right now. It's just a little shift in perspective and involvement. It's that quick pulse check to make sure that I'm okay and that my mind and thoughts aren't running away with me. RE, we took the elevator down, so let's take the stairs back up. 
I love you guys. Stopping you.